Well, I hope some of you got the chance to share some fun family stories. I was uh, just up north. I'm from northern Wisconsin this weekend, spending time with my family. And there's a couple stories that my siblings like to, you know, bring back up whenever it's convenient in relationship. You know these stories? So I thought I'd share one of you, or one with you this morning. Uh, my mom reminded me of this last, uh, this weekend. I was three and a half years old. It was the summertime. Uh, my young sister had just been born about six and a half months ago. And it was a beautiful summer day. We were outside playing outside. My mom was watching us. And it was hot, so we didn't have much on, as kids do. And uh, she went back inside to change the laundry real quick. And she emphasized it real quick. Uh, and she came back and found that the situation had changed drastically from when she had left. And I could describe it to you in words, and she often tries to, but it would be better just to show you the picture of what she encountered when she came back. This is my little sister. So my little sister kind of had the, the hard end of uh, the stick growing up. She had two older brothers. This is poor, sort of emblematic of her upbringing, maybe, and she likes to uh, remind us of that every once in a while. We have a great relationship now, but it started off that way. So, I, I noticed this about family. Uh, family are the people we laugh together with most sometimes, and some of the people who can hurt us most as well. It's the people who um, expect that they understand us the most, but that we can have the deepest misunderstandings with. I think if we were to do a survey in this room this morning, we would have varying degrees of trust issues with our family. All of us have them to some degree. Some are heavier than others. In this series, we've been talking about trust issues this morning. We're going to talk about trust issues in the family. And I know that as soon as I bring that up, you may be squirming in your seat or something raises up inside of you. I know that all of us encounter these trust issues and they create tension in our lives, whatever our family story is, whatever our experience. You may be grieving a recent death of a parent or a sibling one you might not even had the chance to reconcile with, a spouse who's hurt you in a deep way that you're trying to fight for forgiveness to offer them, grieving uh, or still grieving a distant or deceased parent, still uh, embracing or trying to embrace uh, singleness in your life and feeling stigmatized or uh, less than valuable from the friends around you, or uh, maybe you're a millennial who is becoming an adult or hashtag adulting, and your parents can't quite figure out how to relate with you, and it's quite frustrating. Or maybe you feel uh, stigmatized and uh, isolated uh, in a struggle with infertility or for choosing an alternative way to grow a family through adoption or something like that. Whatever it is in this room right now, I know there's a diversity of what we would maybe call trust issues with family that we all carry with us. And before we dive into scripture this morning, before we learn from Jesus' own story with his family, I wanted to do this practice that our littlest ones do sometimes. Uh, this happens in uh, Mighty Mills, which is our elementary uh, school students, and they do this, I think, in other classrooms as well. Whenever they're talking about a tough issue and whenever they're going to talk about something where a lot of anxiety will rise, and I can kind of feel anxiety maybe rising already, they have this practice where they just open their hands to God and pray and symbolically give to God whatever they're carrying or whatever might bring up anxiety in them 
while they're talking about that, trusting that God can hold that tension for them as they communicate that. I just thought that was amazing. So I want to practice it before we get any further into this this morning. So would you join me just in prayer? Extend your hands out like this. And whatever rose up into you, maybe as I was reading those scenarios, whatever you're carrying in with you this morning, let's just give this, uh, that to God for the next few minutes. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. God, we come with all sorts of tensions from whatever degree. God, we now, just in these moments, place those into your hands. Even if we don't feel like we have the trust to do so right now, God, just as an act of faith to you, we give that to you for the next few minutes. And ask, could you hold it for a while so that we can hear from you in a fresh way? In Jesus' name, amen. While I was thinking about family trust issues and uh, thinking about what passage I would bring up to delve into this a little bit, I began to survey and ask the question, what was Jesus' family like? What was Jesus' family experience like? And you don't have to read many of the Gospels too long to figure out that Jesus had some family issues of his own. For instance, his dad. We hear about Joseph uh, early on in the narratives of the Gospels, but then pretty quickly we don't hear of him. Again, many scholars think that's maybe because he died uh, early in Jesus' life or some point before his ministry started, but there's evidence to suggest that Joseph might have still been present, but just not participating at best, or not supportive of what Jesus was doing, or maybe even disapproving of what Jesus was doing. There's an instance in John where he goes back to his hometown and they say, aren't you the carpenter or the contractor's son? Which would infer that Joseph is still around, but not supportive. And in that day and age, if Jesus wasn't doing his dad's craft, there would have already been tension in that relationship. His mom, uh, Mary, who's a wonderful figure, who knows most deeply, I think, what Jesus is capable of, even at points gets pushy with him. If you remember, the first miracle Jesus does is turn water to wine. And if you remember, Mary (laughs) basically forces him to do that or suggests that he do that, which is kind of like a mom thing to do. Like, I know what you're capable of. You better do this. And Jesus resists a little bit, but then he performs this miracle, and it's wonderful. And, and sort of the darker side of Jesus' family is that for most of the beginning of his ministry, his family was very skeptical of him and even disbelieving. There's a point at which in Mark 3.21, his family flat out calls him crazy in front of everybody, in front of his own hometown. They say, we don't know what to do with him, he's crazy. His siblings, scripture suggests he at least has five siblings, all of them at different points, it says right in the gospels, don't believe in his message. So there's some serious tension that Jesus, as he's following his father in heaven to pursue this ministry, all kind of tension gets created with his own family. So what I want to do this morning is focus on this little passage in Matthew where there's this this conflict between Jesus and his family kind of reaches this fever pitch. And uh, it's this point at which in Matthew, uh, I believe it's 12, 46 through 50, this is a point in Jesus' ministry where he's been traveling out in other regions of Israel, and he's kind of growing a following. People are paying attention. People are amazed at the things that he's doing and the things that he's saying. And then he comes back to his hometown. And stuff gets ugly. He says that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. People are very resistant to what Jesus is doing, including his family. 
And we reach this episode uh, in Matthew 12, and I just want to read it, and this is what happens. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to him. To you. Let me just pause right there. That seems kind of incident or uh, innocent, like they're just standing outside very patiently waiting for Jesus to get done with his talk. Uh, but that's not what's going on here. This is his family staging an intervention for the crazy brother Jesus that they have. So that would be as if right here while I'm preaching this sermon, my brother or sister walks through this door and says, JD, stop. Get out of here right now. You need to stop what you're saying. So this is more tense than it appears on the surface. This is uh, Jesus' family trying to take control of his ministry, his actions, and what he's doing. And this is how Jesus responds to this situation. He replied to him, the messenger who told him his parents were, or his family was there, Who is my mother? And who is my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother. Here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Okay, this is one of those moments in the gospel where you kind of just say, What the heck just happened? Like, what does he even mean? What, is he trying, what point is he trying to get it off, uh, across here? These are one of these moments, this classic Jesus moment where he says this thing that's so conflictual, so contradictory. It, you have to understand that in this culture, to defy one's family in that way would like raise eyebrows for sure. So it appears as though on the surface, Jesus is rejecting his family In the face of his family tension, it appears as though he's rejecting his family, saying, forget them, I have my own family here with the disciples and God, and the ones who follow him are my real family. You could read it that way. It would appear that way. But I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here. And part of the evidence for that, I believe, is that he reconciles relationship with his family. If you continue through the rest of the Gospels, it's clear that he stays in a committed relationship with his family. His mother is right there on the cross, and as he's dying, as he's taking his last breath, he says to his disciple John, take care of her for me. And if you know, if you read uh, Acts and know uh, the beginning of church history, you know that some of his brothers, John in particular, was very instrumental in the leadership of the beginning of the church. And so at some point, he continued relationship with them. He pursued reconciliation, but it just raises the question, if that's true, what is Jesus doing here in this moment? What's his point in contrasting the two families that he pictures here? And I think the main point, or what Jesus is doing here, is he's intentionally juxtaposing, intentionally comparing the relationship he has with the Father and his disciples with his earthly family to make a point. And I think he's making two main points. The first is, I think he's making the point, family is something we do, not just something we have or some people we have. Family is not just something we have, it's something we do together. And Jesus is really challenging the perception of family in that day. Family was everything back then. Family uh, was status. It was a symbol. It was how you defined your life back then. And he is directly challenging what I think he perceives as idolatry of the family, placing family above God, placing uh, the authority of family of the authority of Jesus in our lives. And he's doing it to accentuate the point 
that family is something we do together, not a possession we have to lord other, over other people or to define our own value up against. The second thing I think he's doing is if family is something we do, he's saying God does family differently than how my earthly family is behaving right now. God does family differently than how my earthly family is behaving right now. In my research for this sermon, I really heavily leaned on the, this book here called The Family, written by a husband-wife duo, Jack and Judith, Judith Balswick. And they, they uh, lean into this a little bit more and try to decipher what is the model of family Jesus uh, gives for us. And they have a couple uh, really helpful visuals and way of thinking about family that I think represent the family that Jesus is trying to compare with his earthly family. Just a little plug for training. Uh, Anne, our family life pastor, and I are going to sit down later this week and do a training podcast. Uh, this is the first I've spoken it from stage, but we're starting a training podcast that will give you a little more depth on uh, uh, life on mission. And so this week, we're going to do a podcast del- delving a little bit more into the content of this book and family in general. So you can check that out. It'll be on Facebook coming up. So commercial over. Back to the sermon. Check that out. But uh, Balswick and Balswick, Jack and Judy, uh, share this really helpful paradigm of what a trusting family looks like. Phil, can you go ahead and put that uh, visual of a trusting family up? This is uh, their visual image of what family, a trusting family, can be like. They say it starts with commitment. The biblical term for that is covenant. And Jesus represents this in his relationship with God by communicating about and representing in his whole own relationship with God or his Father, unconditional love. Unconditional love. Unconditional love is where we give ourselves to the other no matter what. We give ourselves again and again to serve the other. Now let me just pause right there and say that if there's abuse in the relationship, if there's some hurt in the relationship, it's important for a time to stop from that. And I'm not endorsing you going back to an abusive relationship. Don't hear me saying that in what I'm about to talk about here. But it starts with commitment and covenant. And the next movement that comes out of commitment and covenant is grace. Grace. The, the keystone uh, story that Jesus tells about his relationship with the Father and the Father's relationship to us is the, prodigal, the story of the prodigal son. It gives this picture of God as a father who runs to the end of the driveway to greet his son who's been gone for a long time, squandering inheritance um, and doing everything under the sun he wants to with his own money and he ends up in a pigsty and he comes home dirty. And his father's response is not to shame him in the driveway, It's to offer grace, to throw him a party, to give him uh, the best robe. Next is empowerment. Empowerment. Trusting families serve one another. Empowerment means to serve and to be served. And this is evidenced in uh, uh, the Father giving the Holy Spirit to Jesus at his baptism. He empowers Jesus to do the work that he's called to do, and every trusting family empowers, serves others First, the next step, what this all leads to is intimacy. And we can define intimacy as uh, being known and knowing. Creating space to know the other and creating space to be known yourself. So 
You might be looking at this and be like, that is great, man, but I've never been a part of any family experience that's anything like that. Or maybe it has been at glimpses, but most of our family experience is just trying to get there. And I think what's really helpful that uh, uh, the Balswicks do is juxtapose this to what a distrusting family is like. So can you bring up that next slide? As opposed to commitment, there's conditions, conditional love. Oftentimes our experience of family is based off conditional love. We, we have an experience of, I will love you if. I will love you if this or that. Or at least that's our perception of how things are. And this is really a fear-based way of being in relationship with other. Fear of not being loved ourselves. Fear of being misunderstood. And when fear gets in the mix of a family, this is what it produces. It produces conditional love that if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And that's the basis of our relationship. The next is opposed to grace. It's, it's just shaming culture. And you see this in Jesus' family. They have conditions for Jesus. They say, if you act this way, we'll love you. And then their response to if he doesn't act that way is to publicly shame him in front of everybody. And this comes through in ordinary life through uh, this obsession with perfection because we're scared to death to be shamed by our family or the people we're in relationship with, the people we're doing family with. It comes in nitpicking and blaming sometimes in a family. And when that kind of culture of shame is created, what comes about instead of empowerment is control or manipulation. There's experience. If we're afraid of what you will do in relationship to me, the impulse we have as human beings is want to control that situation instead of empower the other, regardless of their response to our serving them. Control is what gets created in a culture of shame. Next, instead of intimacy, distance gets created. And this is where maybe you're close in proximity to that person, but you don't feel known at all. And you feel so misunderstood by that person because you, the family has not been able to create the space for understanding. I think what Jesus is fundamentally doing here in juxtaposing his relationship with the Father to his relationship with his earthly family is saying there is a different way of doing family together. And what God is doing is, is creating families of unconditional love when we focus on his love. When we follow God's leadership, we choose grace first and forgiveness. When we follow God's leadership in family, we can choose to serve and be served and empower each other to become who God created us to be. And when that happens, we experience true trust and intimacy with others. Jesus is giving this example of his relationship with the Heavenly Father to show us what's possible in relationship with him. Some of you uh, may have noticed on Facebook that Krishnan and I are studying the process to foster, to adopt this summer. We didn't really have a PR plan for that. It kind of just uh, went out there, which is fine. We, we, we're not too sad about that. I have to tell you, as someone who's anticipating being a father and an adoptive father or a foster father first, I'm a little bit terrified. I'm a little bit terrified because I see these cycles of distrust and trust, and I can point out my own experience with family. And I think my deepest fear is that I will repeat the same things in the creation of our family together. And it's left me 
uh, at a place where I have a choice to sit there in the fear and delay starting a family longer or be uh, super scared of that, or make the hard choice to trust that family is something God is doing to reconcile the world to himself. And me as a father, God is fundamentally inviting me to participate with him as Jesus was demonstrating how he participated with the father to create the conditions of a family that are trusting. And I can't do that by myself. If I'm left to my own devices, I will make the same mistakes. I will create trust issues. I'm human. I'm a broken person. But the invitation of a relationship with Jesus as it relates to family, is to participate with him in building a trusting family together. One of the predominant metaphors for salvation in the New Testament is adoption. Did you know that? A lot of times we talk about sacrifice and the cross, and that's so important. But one of the predominant metaphors is adoption. This beautiful picture of God who does family with us, whose plan for reconciliation of the world is to do family here on earth, invites us into his family's family, promising unconditional love, grace, empowerment to do what we're called to do, and intimacy, to be known more than anyone could ever know you, and the space to be yourself, even your broken self. And it's by choosing that relationship first that we are empowered to, to do family with our given family or chosen family here on earth. So as we close this today, I have a couple of questions for you to consider. And the first question isn't, which of my family members should I send this sermon to? Okay? It's not the first one. You're welcome to do that if you want. I'm not, I wouldn't want to read the email responses to that. But a couple of questions to consider. First one is, who are you doing family with? I think it's really important to, to, to acknowledge that some of you may be sitting there saying, J.D., I have tried to offer unconditional love. I have tried to offer forgiveness. I've tried very hard to create this. Or you might sit there being grieving that because of a death or just distance, that you're in, unable to do this with family. And I want to know that I hear you and I see you. And I think that we need to make a dis- distinction between the family that we choose to, uh, the people we choose to do family with and our given family. And sometimes in many of your stories, I realized that through discernment from God's leadership, that often where you experience more of a trusting family with are the friends and family around you, the church family maybe even, in your own life. So I think it's very important to start by asking, who is God calling me to do family with? I'm not giving you an invitation necessarily to give up with the given family when it's hard. I'm just saying that sometimes circumstances uh, lend themselves to that. So we should be asking, who is God calling us to do family with? The second thing is, what is God calling us to do next? And in this, I would just say, going through uh, that picture of a trusting family and a distrusting family, what stuck out to you? What grabbed your heart in that and said, man, that's real? I think in that may be an invitation to God to step, from God to step forward if there's shame with grace and forgiveness. If you're experiencing control or have been guilty of having the impulse to control the other, what would it look like to empower and serve that person? So on and so forth. What sticks out to you? I want to return to our prayer again. Return to our prayer where we gave God whatever issues we were walking with this morning. 
And I just want you to close your eyes and look into the face of God our Father, however you picture him when I say that. I hope that he is good. The picture is someone looking at you lovingly who wants a trusting family experience for you. And look at whatever you gave him early on, whatever issue you came in with. And I want you to spend the next few moments just talking with God about that. I'm going to give you about 20 seconds. And if you need a guide for prayer, just pray for love to exist in that issue. Pray for grace and forgiveness to break through. Pray for empowerment, the capacity to serve and to be served. And pray for understanding and intimacy, the idea of being known. So let's just take about 20 seconds, real simply, us and God right here, and talk about that. Amen. God, we know we know that trust in the family starts with trust in you. Mill City, our world is hungry for an experience of family. I think the extent to which we can experience family together and encourage each other to build trusting families together, even when it's hard, we will be a light as it were, as Jesus says in the gospel, that, the, that we can trust the family, that we can experience reconciliation, that we can experience being known and empowered and experience forgiveness in that space. Let's pray to close our service and then we have a song that's in line with what we've been talking about. God, we love you. You're our Father who loves us unconditionally. Whatever mistakes we've made, Whatever our family story has been, God, you welcome us with open arms. You give us grace. You see who we ought to be. You see who you created us to be. And you fight for that to exist in our lives. God, you love us so much, so deeply, so uncomprehensibly, God. Help us experience that when the remainder of the time we have together. Help us to worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.